This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Lynn Freeman, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. Turn our attention now to questioning. Anyone with small children know the questions can sometimes be relentless. Christian Wright is a Wellington speech and language therapist, and the last time he was on the program, he talked about question development in preschoolers and the way it helps children start to understand the world around them and fill the gaps in their knowledge. There's a hierarchy to questions. Children start with what and who and move on to more complex questions. Well, Christian's going to continue looking at this with a focus on when and the all-important and often infuriating why. Kia ora, Christian. Kia ora, how are you? I'm well, thank you. I thought we'd just recap on yeah, sure. those issues of, of last week, just yeah. if people um, missed it. One of the things that happened last time I realised is, like many times, we get caught up talking about other things, and I don't actually think I got to help the parents to sort of explore what, where, and who. Um, so I thought I would just quickly go over that. Um, just that previous segment was really interesting. You know, the thought that comes to me, just slightly off topic, is what are we doing to the attentional system of children and teenagers with the fact that they're consuming 15-second bites of information all the time? I remember there was a study many years ago that in the 80s or 90s, I think it was, that looked at children entering the classroom who had the ability to seem to switch on for four or five minutes, and one psychologist tried to make a parallel between that and how long a TV segment goes before the adverts come. So these children tuning in and out, their brains being conditioned by media. Anyway, yeah, it, just, no, the, it just concerns me. That short attention spans getting down to a few seconds. It's getting and pretty that's frightening, worry, isn't it? That's right. Um, but yes, we did talk last time about the questions. Well, one of the things that parents who have listened to the last segment might remember is we were talking about a hierarchy of how children develop their understanding of the world through questions, um, and that begins with things like choice. That's one of the very most basic things that starts. From there, children move on to understanding yes/no questions, and then they get into the what's, where, who. And that covers off your kids up to about three, three and a half. And then on from there, three and a half and older, you're getting into more abstract um, understanding. The things that you are asking questions about or talking about that are not observable or in your current environment. So those are questions like when, which is about time, or why, about causality, or how, which is about process. So those are much more complicated questions, which is what we're going to touch on today. In terms of some of the content I'm covering, if parents um, want to, speechandlanguagekids.com. There's a woman called Carrie Clark. It's an American website. Um, It's a really useful website because it actually covers a lot of this. Some of the material I've drawn from there, but equally a lot of it's just from clinical experience working with kids. Um, So that's a great place to go visit. It's really well written, and she's got so many resources available that heaps of parents use it, so it's a great place to go. Let's go to what. That's the first step on our WH questions. What we're trying to do here is, so these are our children when um, one-and-a-half-year-olds can ask, what's that, that they've developed that. But that's because many times parents have said, what's this or what's that. So they're just imitating what they hear around them. So when I'm working with children developing their questioning, um, I will always start with what, and we will put toys in a bag pull it out and just show a tiny bit of the toy to create curiosity, so not pulling the entire toy out, and then um, in a very animated tone I'll say what's that? So that they get the idea of that is the sound bite that precedes the revelation of what the toy is and then I immediately name it, so what's that? And I try to choose highly preferred objects ball, 
so they hear what's that goes alongside the naming of something remembering that little children your first few your first category of words is nouns naming words so we stick with a lot of those but then like with the way children develop language we go from naming to doing words the next step on the journey is what's he or she doing so now we're getting into verbs so one and a half to two um, I'm playing around with what's he or she doing and then lastly I get into um, to uh, questions like what do you eat what do you wear um, what do you throw so I'm starting to explore that with kids so um, as I say to many parents parents are busy people we're all busy people um, I try to make uh, therapy or, or an intervention fit into your everyday life so a lot of the stuff I model in everyday life I don't necessarily sit down with children with bags of toys and reveal them I might be doing that in a clinic setting to model the behavior but I'm encouraging parents to pick up on incidental moments in everyday life so that's that what category from there we go into where uh, children by nature preschoolers extremely egocentric they just are the world is about them and we feed into that because we seem to know what they're thinking, which we don't, but we do because we're observing them and they believe that. Um, but so when I'm teaching where, I'll start with touching their nose. So where's your nose? So egocentric, all about you and your body, using a mirror, sit with a child in front of that. But then I'll move to objects. So where's the ball? And I usually have the ball right in front of the child and then I'll model pointing at the ball. So, can, can I ask yeah, to pick up on that? I'm just curious, when you're asking these questions, how, how if you're supplying the answers, Cousy Young, how mm-hmm. quickly do you do it? Or are you expecting the child to have a, have a go yeah. at answering? Great question, absolutely. Um, you're modelling the, the dance. I take this step and then this is the next step. And then after you've done that a few times, you start to introduce pausing. So you might go where's the ball and then after you've modeled the point oh ball and pointing at it you're seeing if the child's picking up and starting to imitate what you've been modeling so are they now pointing at the ball or showing some indication that they are looking so where is location so we like it when we say where that children start turning their head that shows that they're comprehending the the function of where so I'll go for objects because I want the child to look and then I start varying locations moving the ball around the room getting them to look and then varying the objects so that, you, that they're learning that where applies to things in the environment, not just balls. Yeah, so moving it around. Gotcha. Um, and then after that, who. And who, obviously, about people and, um, well, animals, pets. So I'll use a mirror, um, and that would be me sitting in front of the mirror. Who's that? And then I'm pointing at them. They can see themselves in the mirror. Um, and then translating that to myself. Then looking at people and pets in the environment around the child. Who's that? Who's that? Photos of known people. So now you're moving from real life three dimensions to two dimensions, trying to generalise the skill. Is that quite a big transition for a child? Yeah, yeah, it can be. Um, Sometimes I'll hit a wall on that. The child will have struggled to, um, when they've got some cognitive learning issues, will struggle to do that. Um, Children always learn. They learn language in life in three dimensions, of course, and they translate it to two. Um, So going to photos, books... So particularly books where they know the characters, like if it's Maisie and they love Maisie. So who's that? Maisie. Who's that? Tallulah. Who's that? Charlie. So just moving it around the characters in the book. And then I go on to objects. So you're moving away from people and favourite characters to show them um, who's got the ball. So the idea is now you're showing them that people can possess things or 
routines. Who sleeps here? So people have routines. So you're trying to expand their world about who. And what age group are we talking about here? This is the kids up to about three, three Step and a half. Three, yeah. yeah, so usually between um, about one, one and a half, I start with the what, and then I progress my way through in those that next year or so, year or two, playing around with these. Um, and it's a slow process, but children generally... If things are going well with children and their language development, you don't really need to do any of this. They just absorb it. But it's that moment where your child is, say, three, and you realise they hardly ever ask questions and they look a bit confused when you say, um, where's the whatever it is. Um, be, being careful to point out that many children will learn the language of routine. So where are your shoes? Because every time you go out, you say it. They know that dance, but they don't necessarily know where is your fork um, because that's not something you normally say because the fork's just in front of them. Um, so sometimes as you play around with asking questions, going back to the last segment we did on this, I gave parents an idea of how to measure that by talking about what did you have for breakfast, where did you eat breakfast, who did you eat breakfast at, you know, and, that, and we went through those that, that list. So go back and have a listen to that. And do you correct them? Like say if you're working with a photograph and they can't identify, you know, auntie... Auntie Flo yeah. or Uncle Fred, you know, yeah. is, it, is it about is it about correcting, or in these early stages, are you are you yep. still just trying to help I, them get the concept? Yeah, I model it a lot. Um, I try to steer away f- when I'm teaching children new concepts and teaching children to learn, no matter the age. I try to avoid the word no, because children hear no and they hear can't do it. So I de- tend more to move towards just giving them the answer. So who's that, Auntie Flo, and then I go again, who's that? Uncle Jacob. And then you move back. Who's that? Oh, Auntie Flo. So then they start to get the idea. If they're really struggling, I might just move between only photos of Auntie Flo and Uncle Jacob until they get the idea that when you hear me say who's that, you say a person's name. So you're just understanding broadly it means say a name. And then you start to generalise it across members of the family. But then when we get to our three and a half, four-year-olds, we're moving into the more abstract questioning like when and why. Um... They're much more complicated to teach because it's harder to sometimes quantify it because it's not so easy to see it, like when being time, how do you see time, why being causality. You can show it. I remember teaching one girl why many years ago. She was about four and she had a language delay and I remember her saying to me, we'd been working on it for months, and she looked at me one day and she said, you got yellow teeth. And I went, oh, okay. And then I remember her saying, then she said, and then she sat there looking at me, and she said, "Why are you ugly when you smile?" Oh, <laughs> children say oh, the darndest well, things. Cool. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> at least you're learning why. Um, but yeah, our, why is um, we'll start with why? Why is a funny one because children, out of all the question words, children typically learn to ask questions after they've been exposed to the understanding of what it is. So a parent would ask a lot of what before the child might use what. But why is odd because there are lots of children who will start to ask why questions but not really understand its function. Those are the kids who go, why? And then you say something, and then they go, why? 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 I remember driving with my son. Why? Um, I said, it's dark now. This is when he was about three, three and a half, and he goes, why? I said, oh, the sun's gone down. Why? It's gone to the other side of the world to visit the people. Why? And you know, oh, gosh, this is going to go on and on and on. Was, it, was he doing that for the answers, or was he doing that because he could read your body language um, yeah. and was enjoying himself? Um, I think that many times children love the function of why because it makes adults talk. So 
they like the fact that the conversational um, the diet of the conversation keeps going and going and going and going and going. They love it. And so they'll keep asking it just to get a reaction. And also because they know if they ask it enough times, the parents become agitated and irritated. I thought so. So um, that's you know a great result for them as well. So between three and four children might ask why, but it doesn't mean they can answer a why question. It's a bit more complicated. That tends to come after four. And what I've observed in, clinic, in clinical experience, but in my reading as well, is this idea of why being the reason plus the outcome. So why is you give a reason. So um, if you were talking about a wall and a car, a toy car and a wall, so you get the car, you smash the wall down. Why did the wall fall down? So because the car smashed it. So there's the, the, the reason being the car smashing it and the outcome, the wall fell down. So um, there seems to be a process children go through as they acquire this when they don't understand it. The first is you ask why did the wall fall, fall down? They'll often just state the outcome. They'll go, the wall fall down. That's that's their response to why did it fall down. They don't understand yet that they want you to back up. You want them to back up a few seconds and state the thing that happened immediately before it. And from their perspective, that's more confusing because they're used to talking about the concrete world around them and what they are seeing, which includes the finished state of something. But now they're having to cognitively begin to explore the the past tense in a sense and it's it's literally a matter of seconds but it's very confusing so going back so then they'll move on from stating the outcome to then they start to copy you because you're saying because the car smashed it they'll usually go cause the wall fall down and they'll start to try to use this idea of because but again state the outcome the next evolution of that is they'll begin to state the reason but they may drop cause which seems a bit quirky but that's because cause isn't functioning in the step two in its proper form. So they just drop it, but they it's very encouraging when they go, car smashed it. And then lastly, they'll say, cause car smashed it. So they put it all together. So that's a process they move through over a matter of months. And um, I tend to, when I'm teaching it, go for very observable cause and effect events, like I just explained, and I make them very very repetitive, so I'll do them many times over. So I'll get the car, I'll smash the wall down, and then we play the game five, ten times in that one setting so that they learn the turn that they're supposed to take. They literally wrote learning the answer to a why because question. Then I'll translate that to a light switch, or I'll translate it to something else in their routine life that's observable and easy to see. For example, knocking something off the table like a fork. So that's that's generally how I go with why. What about for parents then? Because I remember this from growing up myself, and and it wasn't hard to get drive my parents crazy. And you just go because oh yeah because exclamation mark yeah children should be seen yeah. and not heard go away. Yeah. And I love my parents; they were great. But you know what I mean? That was kind of the response, and the fuse was quite short because they were you know busy people. So yeah. how how you know how far to do parents play the game and yeah. take it before they um, shut it down? And should they shut it down? Um, yeah, I think my answer to that is it's a lot about your own um, mental health in that particular situation. There are some days when I am tired. where I'm thankfully past that stage now. My youngest is five. But um, when I just didn't have the energy to go on with that. So I would give it a couple of answers. But actually, I did just say, well, because, and then move, move it on to something else. But there are other days when I had more energy. And I think it's that thing of... As much as there's these ideals of what we should be doing as parents, it's a lot to do, well, um, not so much should, but what can I do right now that I'm good, I can do kindly? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because sometimes I don't have the energy and I don't want to. So I'm 
I guess I'm learning and still learning with all my kids that um, some days I'm a better parent than others and actually that's okay. Got a question for you from mm. a listener. My three-year-old daughter is obsessed with when I'm older. When I grow up, I'm going to. When I was a baby, did I do this? Mm. And is just asking for some advice to move on from it because it's relentless. Yeah. Was that unusual? No, it's not unusual because she's that's functioning a little bit like why. She's, she's worked out that when she says when, you have to give these answers. And these answers are usually quite long-winded and she loves the interaction. Um, so that's a really good example of where I would answer a few of those and then if you are finding that really frustrating, distract or um, put it back on her. So sometimes I will turn it back on children but she may not be old enough to answer a when question but I might ask her some questions like what's this or what's that or who. So um, play a questioning game, putting it back on her to see if she might like to give answers and feel good about herself. But equally, partly part of the frustration that sounds like there is you actually just want to break from the verbal sort of diarrhoea that goes on from kids sometimes. And um, like, like I just said before, um, it's actually okay to have a break and um, <laughs> you know move them on to something else that, that might be entertaining. Um, but... I think it's very healthy that she's asking that, and she's doing it in great time as well. I wonder how old she is, but yeah, about three th years. Yeah, so yeah. I wonder about three and a half, maybe even, because um, when usually is uh, something that's occurring around three and a half. Thank you very much, Christian. Christian Wright is a Wellington speech and language therapist.